Welcome to Eye on Horror. This is episode 30, otherwise known as season 2, episode 8, depending on how you're keeping track. This is our 30th episode, you guys. How exciting is that? All right. Uh, I am your host, James J. Edwards, and with me, as always, is your other host, Jacob Davidson. How are you doing, Jacob? Uh, Doing fine, just still waking up. You party hard. Well, I was at I was at the premiere of Satanic Panic last night. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that. I, I saw it a couple weeks ago. We'll uh we'll talk about that. But uh, before we start the show without him again, which we do frequently, uh, your other other host, <laughs> John Korea. How you doing, John? Uh, the literal embodiment of Satanic Panic, <laughs> uh, if anything. Uh, doing well. I have actually been up for a few hours now, uh, so I got you guys beat. <laughs> Changing time zones. <laughs> Are you in Philadelphia or New York? Uh, no, I just left uh, Philadelphia a couple days ago. I am now in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, so you're only one hour ahead. Okay. Yeah, actually, I think we're. I think in the part of Arizona we're in, uh, we're on the same. I think we're on the same timeline because we. Because ah, we. All right. Look at uh, that. But yeah, it's been it's been crazy. It's been two weeks, uh, like five or six cities already. So you know, cool. Pumping them out. Let's jump into what's been going on. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Satanic Panic. Yeah, like I mentioned, I was at the premiere of uh, Chelsea Stardust uh, Satanic Panic last night at the Egyptian Theater. And uh, I actually know Chelsea, and it's really cool that she's gotten two movies out this year, uh, the other one being the Into the Dark movie, All That We Destroy, which came out around Mother's Day. And uh, this was a completely different uh, story, though, like it, it definitely in line with horror comedy. And it was a lot of fun. Like, uh, I had, had a great time. And, um, yeah, it's basically about this pizza girl who goes to deliver to this, like, affluent, uh, like, rich gated community, and it turns out they're all Satanists, and they need a virgin sacrifice, and they think she's a virgin, so they want to sacrifice her to a demon, and it kind of turns into, like, an after-hours, evil-dead wacky like chase with lots of blood and gore and guts and jerry o'connell yeah i uh i I got a link to it a couple weeks ago i didn't realize that it i mean i guess it's been hitting festivals because i think kelly saw it at tiff or something yeah um yeah i got a link to it a couple weeks ago um and it's it's a lot of fun it's uh you know it's 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 nothing that you haven't really seen before but um what what was really funny with me uh when i was watching it is the girl not the pizza delivery girl, but the girl she meets up with who kind of becomes her, her beef fry, her ally for about half the movie. I was like, I know her. I know her. She's freaking from, uh, she's the roommate from happy death day. Yeah. I was, I was, I, I was, I was going, okay. I know that face. I know that face. It was pretty exciting to see her. I hope yeah, that she becomes a screen. Queen Ruby Modine. Really yes. Yeah. That's her name. I think I was expecting it to be more like summer of 84, I think. And maybe that was all me because um, growing up in the quote, satanic panic, I think I was expecting it to be more literal of a title, but it was, yeah, it's just a, a girl running from a bunch of Satanists. <laughs> yeah. Other, and uh, yeah, at the screening last night, she mentioned society was a big influence, which I definitely see because, you know, it's like the secret lives of the 1% and what and what a bunch of assholes they are. Yeah, you can. It's, speaking of asshole one percenters, let's move on. Who has seen Ready or Not? I have. I did too. Do you see it, Korea? Have no, you seen anything? The unfortunate <laughs> side effects of being on the road. 
I've seen other stuff I could discuss, yeah. but no, I haven't. I'm gonna. I'm planning on seeing Ready or Not today. So, what did you oh, think of Ready God. or Not? I loved it. I thought it was. I thought it was fun. Uh, I, oddly enough, I thought it was sillier than Satanic Panic. Uh, but yeah, Samara Weaving was really good in it. Uh, I really like her, and uh, it it ha- it. It reminded me a lot of Clue, you know, because there were a lot of funny little uh, recurring bits and, you know, like with the, all the murders and stuff. Um, yeah, so it, uh, it, it, was a, it was a pretty good time. I consider it a, a marriage between The Most Dangerous Game and Your Next and The Wedding Takes Place in the Clue House. That's how yeah. I consider it. Um, it's, yeah, there you go. I, I think consider they... Be sold. That, that was... I think... Oh. It's, it, it is a lot of fun. That's the best way to describe it is it's fun. I think they're mismarketing it because they're trying to make it out to be this pure horror movie. And for me, it wasn't really that scary. There's, there's some pretty gruesome violence and stuff in it that's going to make you kind of like, you know, cringe and watch through your hands. But it is hysterical. It is. Yeah. They, should, they should be leaning harder into the comedy aspect of it because it is hysterical. Yeah, no, I thought it, uh, it it was definitely more on the comedy end of horror and comedy. Yeah, um, definitely. It, I mean, there were a few good uh, tension moments, some good thriller moments, and and a few good jump scares. But for the most part, it was uh, kind of a splat. Well, I guess kind of a splatstick comedy, <laughs> considering the sheer number of maids that get wasted in that movie. <laughs> and the I loved the cokehead klutz who. Um, she wants to take part in this whole thing and um she's totally incompetent but she ends up with the highest kill ratio in the movie just because because she's such an idiot and you know like accidental it's hilarious well to quote the the late rick james cocaine is a hell of a drug (laughs) that's good times uh another one that i saw that i got a link for is a uh, a movie called haunt which is um it's produced by Eli Roth and it actually looks like it. It's about a group of kids who go to a Halloween haunt. And it Oh um, yeah, I saw the trailer. Yeah, it's and the thing is this haunt is like it's basically almost th- that's what makes me think of Eli Roth is it's almost like the haunt is hostile, you know, cuz it's pretty brutal and it's gross what happens to these kids and they're just trying to get out. Right. Um but it's yeah, it it's a it it's a fun, it, it, it was, I mean, not. it's fun in a different way than Satanic Panic and Ready or Not. It's fun in one of those, oh my God, I can't believe that. Just, you know, like like the Hostel movies. Are, right. You know, so would you say fun. it's torture porn? Uh, torture porn light. It's more graphic than your average like slasher movie, but it's not like, you know, it's not like Turistas or, you know, it, it's probably not even as bad as like a Saw movie. But it's uh, it's it's so it's weird because it's such a simple concept of okay, let's go to this haunted house that isn't really a fake haunted house, you know, mm-hmm. but it's it's so effective. It's a uh, it, it's pretty cool. I finally saw James's uh, big recommendation, Greta, uh, from the other, oh my god, from last year or so. Did wow. you love it or did you love it? I loved the shit out of it. <laughs> I mean, we discussed previously a simple favor and how deliciously just like out there that movie was on like different levels and Greta was I think those two would pair up as a good double feature just because they're like this hyper reality uh Greta being the more intense uh one of the two but oh man such great performances all around and that ending was like really weird and just like it hit hard 
when I felt like it, it, like I, like you're watching the whole movie and you're like, wow, this ending should not be as effective as it is, but it was. Well, the ending, the reason it's the reason it feels like that is you see it coming a mile away. You know how Greta is going to end, but it doesn't matter. You're still like, oh, my God, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I still got to check it out. Oh, and yeah, you absolutely do. I, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, French actress. Uh, Isabelle Huppert. All right. Uh, yeah. Isabella Luper, phenomenal. Like, I haven't seen her in a movie since my uh, film school days. So it was oh my great gosh. seeing her in something again. You um, should see uh, You should see Elle, which was Elle. a couple years ago. It's it's a Paul Verhoeven yeah. movie. Um, Super intense. The movie as a whole, I wasn't a huge fan of, but Isabella Luper is amazing in it. And she was in something the same year, um, not horror. I think it's called Things to Come. She yeah. had a great year that year. I was I remember thinking her biggest competition for best the best actress Oscar is herself, but I don't think she won for either. I just remember her in the piano teacher and just being blown away by her performance in that. So She's she's probably the best actress that is not a household name yet. She's kind of becoming one, but you know, yeah. if you say Isabelle Huppert, it's only real film geeks that are like, "Oh yeah, I love her." You know, Joe Sixpack is going to be like, "What? Who?" I don't remember her in Transformers. Where does she stand <laughs> on the Glenn Close Meryl Streep scale? Up. You know, she's up. up there. She's in a league of her own. Come on. Yeah. Um, all right. I got a couple other uh, screens I want to mention. Uh, I was at an anniversary screening of the 1989 uh, s- slasher comedy uh, Cutting Class uh, last, uh, I think last week, uh, and which was Brad Pitt's first movie. And uh, it was hosted by Friday Night Frights at the Los Angeles Dynasty Typewriter Theater. And I watched it for the first time last year when uh, Vinter Syndrome put out a 4K restoration. And I feel like it's a very underrated uh, horror comedy because it's kind of a proto-Scream in that they they don't necessarily lean as hard as Scream did on the slasher tropes, but they do it just enough at that time that it, it was a bit ahead of its time. And also it's got Jill Sholin and... Uh, 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 Roddy McDowell as the principal, and a funny and funny story too. Like they had the director uh, Rospo Pallenberg and the writer Steve Slavskin there, and they talked about how uh, Roddy McDowell was casted because they wanted Malcolm McDowell, and the producer misheard him. <laughs> yeah, I that's swear to God, that's what they said. That's the best mistake one can make. Like, yeah, no, he, I mean he he, he did uh, steal his scenes. Um, I honestly can't think of any other situation that where you could make a mistake and end up with a better result than accidentally <laughs> booking Roddy McDowell over Malcolm McDowell. Like I love Malcolm McDowell, but Roddy McDowell all day. I wonder how many times Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton got roles because they meant the other meant to be cast. I mean, uh, that's probably how we got that movie Brain Damage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. accidentally got both bills, so fuck, let's yeah. keep them. Yeah. Everyone talks about the Hollywood Chris's now, but they don't remember that back in the day when it was the Bills. You know? Yeah, the, there were many a Bills to be had. When Bill Paxton passed, I remember saying, I'm all the first person who posts a meme uh, saying R.I.P. Bill Paxton with a picture of Pullman. I was going to smash my screen. Oh, was, oh God. Uh, anyway. Yeah, disrespect. <laughs> but what else? Um, okay. Uh, oh, I saw 47 meters down on Cage. Oh, that, Okay. 
which uh, I thought was a lot of fun. You know, like I saw the original, and it was pretty good, but I feel like this was a vast improvement. Um, you know, like, uh, it, it was a very interesting concept, because the whole thing is, instead of them, you know, being in a shark cage, it's like these uh, girls decide to go diving in this sunken uh, Mesoamerican city, and it turns out there are these, like, cave sharks that have been living in there, and they're like, it's kind of, so it's kind of like a descent type thing where like they're albino, they're blind, and it's kind of, and it also has a lot of slasher elements to it because you know it's like the way the sharks sneak up on them and like the corridors and stuff. Like I actually interviewed uh, Johannes Roberts, the director, and he talked about you know like uh, Strangers Pray, Pray at Night was and you know like John Carpenter and stuff was a bit of an influence. So is is it just a coincidence that the sunken city is also 47 meters down just like the shark's cage was when it you know i think that might have just been kind of a title only thing because they never mentioned 47 meters there's there's never one point where they're like how deep are we oh about 46 <laughs> meters oh nope we're at 47 meters now <laughs> dun dun yeah, I admit, I think it's more of a label at this yeah. point. But, uh, no, it had some good scares, and it was surprisingly intense for a PG-13 movie. And uh, the casting was pretty interesting because, uh, like, one of the leads is Corrine Fox, uh, Jamie Foxx's daughter, in her first role, as well as Sistine Stallone, Sylvester Stallone's daughter, in her first role. Yeah, I it was actually, uh, I saw some interviews with uh, those two actresses, and I think it was Jamie Foxx's... Uh, 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 the, his daughter was talking about how she was growing up on the red carpets with her father and now he's on hers and all he's doing is just being an embarrassing dad taking selfies and photos and posting oh, constantly and I just thought that was funny as hell thinking of like because I'm picturing of course Jamie Foxx and Baby Driver you know just acting crazy taking selfies all over the red carpet for you know 47 <laughs> meters down too <laughs> and another and I think this is a good lead-in for our main topic. Uh, I saw Invader Zim Enter the Florpus, which yes. appeared on Netflix. Okay. Which isn't necessarily horror, but it being a Jonan Vasquez cartoon, it's pretty horror-adjacent. Because uh, for those of you who remember, uh, Jonan Vasquez is a cartoonist artist who did the independent comic series Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, and for some inexplicable reason, in the early 2000s, made a cartoon on Nickelodeon called Invader Zim, which... which was only like three seasons but it became a cult phenomenon especially for uh horror kids like me and uh and after all these years they came back with a netflix movie that just premiered uh last week called invaders them enter the florpus and it's pretty wild and act and it was a lot of fun uh, basically, uh, Zim just comes back a after all this time, and he's ready to take over the world again, and all kinds of crazy shit happens uh, in, in the process. And fans of the show should know, if you haven't seen it yet, which is surprising if you're a fan, nothing's changed. Like, it's like mm -hmm. the animation has changed a little bit, but it's almost like they never stopped making the show. Like, it just picked up right where the humor, everything was still on point, and brilliant just the whole opening bit with uh dip in the chair was oh, yes. on the floor laughing he's more he's more chair than man <laughs> <laughs> yeah no like there there's just so many weird and quirky bits and like there's a one-off joke about vampire bees <laughs> and uh, yeah just and the animation does get pretty whacked out 
like like it's it, it is pretty crazy so it, it it is and yeah i agree with jonathan it's like it's a perfect bridgement uh between the uh original series and this new movie and it is so goddamn funny like just there's a lot of weird slapstick and dumb jokes that did have me rolling cool well uh speaking of our regular topic uh there is something that we've all seen that we're going to talk way more in depth about later on but scary stories to tell in the dark uh yeah yes. which it's been out for a few weeks so everyone listening has probably already listened has already seen it as well uh what'd you guys think of scary stories to tell in the dark i loved it um i thought as I, as a movie i thought it was a solid you know kinder trauma like kid appropriate <laughs> horror movie i thought it was solid all, all overall there was definitely i think more so the fan or the 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 movie itself was more of an homage to the legacy of the books than it was in um adapting them because some of the some of the stories didn't line up but that's all right because it didn't need to with what with the story they were telling with this one but i i really enjoyed it as a huge fan growing up on those books uh i i I had a lot of fun with it yeah see i i'm a little torn on it because i loved the actual stories i love how they they totally stuck to Stephen Gamble's artwork when they're I mean they brought it to life basically in you know the four or five stories that they that actually do come to life in the in the movie I, I love those parts that was like bringing me back but the wraparound story the story that kind of brought them back I was it was just real formula like right down to ooh, let's hunt down the old wise person who's done this before and they'll tell us how to defeat it it's like you know it, it was just real formula but it was so much fun seeing those those creepy drawings come to life so i did i did enjoy that a lot what about you jacob be the tiebreaker uh yeah for the most part i'd say it's pretty good and also you know kind of going with what jonathan said keep in mind that it's kinder trauma so you know it's kind of meant to be aimed toward a slightly younger audience pg-13 after all uh but yeah no i uh yeah the wraparound story uh, did drag a little at times but when the actual scary stories kicked in like that uh like those were great like uh one of my favorites when i was yeah like uh harold yeah like that one scared me as a child and it was basically pure nightmare fuel on the screen so you know they they knew what they were doing We'll talk a lot more about the specific stories when we get into our topic, uh, which we've tipped right. our hand as to what it is. Uh, but I just wanted to get kind of uh, get out of the way that, you know, what we thought of the movie while we're talking about stuff we've seen. And now let's move on to our subgenre. So what do you got for us, Jacob? All right. Well, actually, I kind of forget uh, how we how it came to this consensus, but uh, it just it felt it felt like a good thing to do now. So eh, horror musicals. Come on, Jacob, say it again, but once more with feeling. <laughs> oh, I had to make it. I had Give to. us jazz hands. Give us some jazz. jazz. <laughs> Come on. And, and all that jazz. I think this is, um, this is just to give Korea another chance to talk about Anna and the Apocalypse. <laughs> I was actually going to not mention that. Uh, it is finally going to get a Blu-ray release in the UK, so that's good. Finally getting a physical media release of it. But, yeah, I still got to see uh, it. But yeah, we wanted to what just discuss uh, horror musical movies because uh, yeah. if we if we're gonna talk about stage plays and whatnot, we have to bring Waylon back on because yeah. oh, that yeah. is 
Wayland's thing to it. That's his jam. I mean, he's the he's the one that introduced me to the brilliance of David Hasselhoff and De- Jekyll and Hyde musical. Um, oh, you know Sebastian Bach did that too, though. Yeah, it, he, he so, says he nice. did a really good job with that too. <laughs> All right, but let's talk about uh, horror musical movies. Did 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 either of you guys see? This is kind of a new one um, from a few years back. Stage fright. I did Whoa. with Meatloaf. With Meatloaf, yeah, and Mini Driver. It is so. It's kind of like Anne and the Apocalypse in that it's set in this musical theater camp, and they do bust into song. You know, they're like cruising around, you know, the campground singing and stuff. But the killer, there's this kabuki mask wearing uh, killer who's stalking the kids. And he's like a heavy metal singer. He's like got this merciful fate King Diamond thing. Whenever he kills, he's, you know, does these, he's doing his, and, and at the end, the end credits, he's singing his heavy metal song over them. And he's like thanking people for sticking around for all the credits in this. You have to listen to the lyrics of the closing song. Anyway, stage fright is it's this is not the stage fright from the set the the one with the owl head guy yeah. from was that from the seventies I think eighties it 80s. was uh, Michael Su- uh, Suave you know he he uh he, he got his start in demons and he worked with like Lamberto Bava a lot yeah it's it's not that movie this one is from I I want to say two thousand fourteen so it's only like you know yeah it's a only few like years a few years ago. old. Well, I'm going to go ahead and mention the greatest horror horror musical ever made. Sorry, Anna. It's it's not you. You're close, little but... Little shop. Little, little shop. Little shop. <laughs> is, that, is that where you're going? Oh, fuck yeah. That's where I was going to go. <laughs> nice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> little Shop of Horrors is brilliant because if you already know the whole story behind the original uh, Little Shop of Horrors, it's insane to think that someone saw that movie and just went, what if that was a musical? And so it started off as a... As a as like a Broadway, off Broadway. I don't. I don't know. Well, it started it off as a Corman movie. Yeah, in the fifties. Yeah, it's a Corman movie. It's just a, yeah. a B movie, and someone saw that and said, "You know what would be good in this movie? Songs." <laughs> and and it was brilliant. And uh, the brilliant Frank Oz uh, brought it to life, which is makes sense because if you're going to bring to life a giant singing alien plant you got to bring in one of the master puppeteers to bring come in and direct it he's also a brilliant comedy director so you add that with rick moranis and steve martin as the dentist and it is dude seriously that uh steve martin dentist song still gets stuck in my head like almost every you'll be a dentist (laughs) little known fact uh i actually did did the puppetry for the plant in a production of little shop of horrors in college Oh, nice. I was, it, it, there are four different plants. There's two that are hand puppets and one of them is actually on a jacket that Seymour's carrying around. So that one wasn't me. Um, and then there's one that is a full body and there's one that is like actually the puppeteer is inside the head of this thing. And that's when it's the, it's the hugest. But anyway, yeah, I got to be, uh, I got to do the puppets for it. I got to live in that damn plant for so a So you summer. got to be Audrey too. <laughs> me, me and the guy who was the voice of it um, was standing on the balcony with the microphone singing and so he was like, we we had to do a little bit of ventriloquist in the back action <laughs> going on. Oh, that's awesome. I'm <laughs> jealous. <laughs> it was fun. It was, a, it was a good time. I think I lost 15 pounds that summer just because these puppets are made of styrofoam 
and yeah. they're heavy enough to be a pretty decent workout. <laughs> I remember walking past a mirror once and I had my shirt off and I looked and I'm like, oh, damn, I'm kind of ripped now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the show's over and I start eating ding-dongs again, though. I'll lose it. <laughs> Speaking of college and musicals, I'd have to say the uh, big one for when I was in college uh, was Repo the Genetic Opera. Oh, yeah. Oh, that movie's so hit or miss with me. Like, there's starring so many, Paris Hilton. There's yep. so many parts that I loved about it, and then so many parts that I'm like, why do I feel like I am watching like the theatrical version of a Hot Topic store? <laughs> well, I went to a theater school, er, uh, a partly theater school, so needless to say, it did pretty uh, well with a lot of those uh, those kids in that scene. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it still holds up fairly well. I mean, it's a pretty dark and intense uh, musical horror opera with uh, like a lot of uh, medical trauma, and yeah, and again, great casting, like uh, uh, Bill Mosley's in it, and you got Anthony Stewart Head. Yeah, and- Giles. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the songs are pretty good. Like, I mean, I still got that Zydrate song stuck in my head. It was very catchy. Um, and yeah, so like uh, they and yeah, like they uh, like didn't they do it as like a tour movie, like a tour theaters for a bit, and then they released it uh, in mainstream theaters. Yeah, yeah, I think there was like a road show version of it. Is how they right, right. how they did it originally. Yeah. Well, that was around the time when, uh, like, movies like Saw and Paranormal Activity were doing, like, you know, you demand it and get it to your screen. Yeah. Like, they were doing that fan bringing it out before uh, getting it into, like, full runs. If you want to uh, see it, say it. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is a great campaign. Oh. I don't think you can do it now uh, to, with today's digital, but... Yeah. Huh. Well, what about the the ultimate? I, this is where I thought you were going until I realized you were doing Little Shop, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh yes, which I actually spent most of the '90s in a Rocky Horror Shadow. Because yeah, I was a theater geek. I I was the plant in Little Shop, and I was Rocky Horror. I actually, was Rocky Horror. Oh, uh, in my in my shadow cast, I was a sin of the flesh at the <laughs> uh, at the New Art. Yeah, I was one of the sins of the flesh. No like, way. Oh. Yep. Yeah. That that I was so the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If if people ask me my favorite movie, my head always says Boogie Nights, but my heart always says the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and neither is wrong because I love them both. Uh, but I mean, you're talking about the songs in Repo, the Genetic Opera. For me, there, nothing could beat the songs in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, except for maybe the songs in Shock Treatment, which is its unofficial official sequel. Uh, not a sequel; it's an equal. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Nice. Um, it's funny. Shock treatment's great because some of the characters are the same, but they're played by different actors and some of the actors are the same and they play different characters. Yeah. I think the only uh, person who plays the same character in both Rocky and shock treatment is the guy who plays Ralph Hapshat. Yeah. I think everybody else is like different. Well, sh- shock treatment was originally going to be like a straight up sequel where it was going to be like Janet had Frankenfurter's kid and Frankenfurter comes back to claim his kid but like Tim Curry didn't want to come back, Susan Sarandon all of them so they were just like you know what fuck it we're going to parody they they basically parodied reality TV like what yes. 15 years before reality TV was actually a thing yeah maybe they, more I mean it was shock Shock treatment is what eighty three, I think. Yeah, it's insane I mean, how it's, ahead of its time it was. Yeah, I love shock treatment. I know a lot of people I hate it, but I think 
I, I don't think it's a it's not it's not a better movie than Rocky, but like the soundtrack alone, it just. I like it more. I think that's the thing. I think maybe it's because I've heard the soundtrack to Rocky so much more and Shock Dream's a little fresher, yeah. but I think I like the songs better in Shock Dream. And I know the singing is better in Shock Treatment because Jessica Harper plays Janet and she can sing circles around Susan Sarandon. Yeah. And I think Cliff DeYoung is Brad, who is a better singer than Barry Bostwick. So, yeah. and then you've got Richard O'Brien, Little Nell and Patricia Quinn. So you've got basically the core of the Rocky Horror cast back in different roles. Only thing you're missing is some meatloaf. Yeah. And Tim Curry. There's no Tim Curry in it. Yeah. But it's a, I I love shock treatment. Um, I mean, it's questionably horror, but it has the pedigree. Uh, But the songs are, I mean, I I think I might like the, the, actual songs better than Rocky's. I know that's, that's sacrilege. I don't know anybody who doesn't like shock treatment. I only know people who haven't seen it. And immediately dismiss it. Yeah. Everybody I know who has seen it has liked it. So I don't know. Or I'm, we're probably going to get bombarded with people. I hated it. It sucked. Well, hey, listen. So it, to the few people that listen to this podcast, if you don't like shock treatment, <laughs> you can keep your opinions to yourselves because we don't care. And uh, in, in the immortal words of uh, Brad and shock treatment, the best thing that you can do is die. <laughs> God, that's such a great song. Fuck. Keep it bitching in the kitchen. <laughs> crying in the bedroom all night. <laughs> People who haven't seen Shock Dream are like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> Further proof Look that you up. need to see this. Come on. <laughs> There's an entire song where Brad is singing to kitchen appliances. Come on, people. Watch this movie. And they rhyme Blender with First Offender. Come on. <laughs> it does not get any better than that. <laughs> Dear Toaster, won't you put the burn on me? Come on. This is lyrical gold. Just that end song where it's like, (laughs) we're going to do it anyhow. Anyhow, it's like such an uplifting song, but also like they're saying the most ridiculous stuff. Like, yeah, some people like to do it for the money. Some people like to do it on the pavement. Some people do it for the payment. But we're going to do it anyhow. And it's like, is this trying to be uplifting or I don't know. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Jacob's glassing over because he hasn't seen shock treatment. (laughs) He's not getting any of these insiders. Jacob, do you need to borrow one of my four copies of shock treatment? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sure you could spare one. I actually have an old DVD because I upgraded to the to the Arrow Blu-ray. So uh, I, I have a DVD copy of shock treatment for you. Oh, I have it on. I it's one of those movies that even though I own it on Blu-ray, actually I have two copies of Shock Treatment on Blu-ray because Arrow put out two different versions, different of their covers. There was, there was the Cosmo it. and the Nation covers. Yep, yeah. I double dipped, and uh, I, but I still can't get rid of that DVD of it for some reason. I, I I have to hold on to it, and of course, still have the soundtrack on LP, of course. Um, but yeah, do you guys want to uh, start spit firing a couple more uh, titles? Rapid fire. Yeah, go. Yeah, like I got one uh, that I actually just rewatched a couple days ago that I think still counts. Uh, the Monster Club. It was made by a bunch of Amicus alums, which, and I think it's the only kind of uh, horror anthology musical because it's basically about uh, Vincent Price is a vampire and he becomes friends with uh, John Carradine, who's a horror writer, and he takes him to uh, the Monster Club. It's like kind of a. Uh, monster discotheque and in between the anthology segments uh, they have these musical interludes with 
like actual like rock and roll bands and stuff and there's songs like monsters rule the world and and uh like a skeleton stripper uh so yeah it, and yeah, the music's pretty catchy and uh you know just kind of adds to the charm quick quick question uh jacob does the skeleton stripper bear it all yes bear it to the bones <laughs> and yes yes Oh man, the dad jokes to pieces. Today. I'm sorry. The dad jokes. Uh, do you guys consider Phantom of the Paradise a horror musical? I mean, it's, yes, it's, it's yeah. got plenty of music in it, but they don't actually break into song. It's it's all diegetic. Yeah, First of all, but it's got some of the best music out there. It, Paul Williams, absolutely yes. does. Fucking genius. Like that's the hell Apple, of it. Someday, man, come on. Phantom of the Paradise is one of my is like you were saying. Rocky Horror is in your heart. Rocky Horror was in my heart until someone went, hey, if you like Rocky Horror, you should check out Phantom. And then that got in a real bad fist fight with Rocky Horror in my heart. And ultimately, <laughs> uh, well, in Phantom of the Paradise is another Jessica Harper jam, yeah. which and is... She's got uh, a beautiful singing voice. She, yeah, she's an amazing singer. But she does the most ridiculous dance twice in Phantom <laughs> of the Paradise. The arm raising, like flapping around. Shout out to my fiance who loves to point that out and tries to replicate it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need video. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get us video. Um, I got two that I definitely want to mention. Uh, Cannibal the Musical, which is uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker's yeah, first It's the movie. South Park guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, that they went on to make South Park after. Um, that was released by Troma. It is at all the seeds of what South Park and uh, Book of Mormon and like everything that they did is in this movie and it is so over the top and so ridiculous there's an entire song about being trappers uh, like and killing innocent animals and how like that makes them feel manly and it's uh, it's it's so low budget and so bad in so many ways but it's so much fun and then uh, uh, on the opposite spectrum in almost every way is uh Takashi Miike is uh, The Happiness of the Katakuris, which is a Japanese horror comedy zombie musical with the most insane claymation I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, my description of any description I can give of that movie does not do it justice on how batshit crazy that movie is. Just seek it out. The Arrow yeah. release is beautiful. And speaking of trauma, that, that reminds me, they also did another kind of mass hybrid uh, zombie horror comedy musical uh, called Poultry Geist. Uh, yeah. With chicken <laughs> zombies and songs Night about... Of the chicken dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah and, so, yeah, and songs about... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think there were songs about love, and also songs about why French, uh, where like big corporate franchises suck, and just uh, all all the usual crazy trauma stuff mixed in with lots of blood, gore, and other bodily fu- fluids. Which also I will put down with uh, uh, Toilet of the Dead as having the greatest Red Band trailer of all time. Because for Poultry Guys, the Red Band trailer was nothing but all the goriest shots of the film put to a heavy metal song that's just screaming, I'm a zombie chicken from Tromaville. All I want to do is kill, 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 kill. And it's like a solid minute of that just yeah. going. And then it just ends. And it's like, oh, <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> Good times. Oh, yeah. We're going to revisit musicals again when we get Waylon on and we talk about actual uh, musicals like musical theater stuff but uh do you want to move on to our topic uh yeah i think we're good all right let's do it well as we already you know kind of 
tipped our hand. We're going to talk about scary stories to tell in the dark. Uh, not just the movie, which we already kind of discussed, but the actual books themselves and the scary stories documentary that, that came out a few... We're just going to kind of everything scary stories. And let's, let's start off... Um, because I'm actually curious myself, what are your favorite stories from the books? I mean, which, which ones really haunted you as a kid? I was about to say favorite stories or ones that scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> it, it could be, for me, it's the same. Yeah, but... There's a few that are both, but there's a few that are definitely in two different categories. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of uh, spectrums there. Uh, although I've got one that's both a favorite and also one of my fa- uh, favorite of the scariest, or All that right. I consider the scariest, um, uh, which was actually in the movie, and I mentioned before, uh, Harold the Scarecrow, which yeah. uh, in the movie it's a bit different, but in, in the book, yeah, it was pretty creepy, because in, in the book, the story is like basically these two farmers make a scarecrow and name it after some dude they don't like, so they just beat the shit out of the scarecrow and make fun of it, and then the scarecrow Harold starts to come to life, and it is. It also ends in one of the more gruesome notes yeah. because, like, the scarecrow skins uh, one of the farmers and turns him into a scarecrow. Yeah, it's it's one of the uh, you know really. I I read this when I was eight. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. No wonder I'm so messed up. The ones that really a lot of those stories and and they're sourced at the end of the, of each book. Um, they're old, like, campfire stories and urban legends and stuff. And those are the ones that really spoke to me. Like, um, like the story of the hook is in there. Um, the killer in the back seat is in there. You know, the ones that are urban, like, the ones that you can find in those Jan Harold Brunvon books, you know, The Vanishing Hitchhiker and The Choking Doberman, you know, um, the, the kid who gets the Mexican rat as a pet, you know, and they yeah. think it's a dog. Oh, the big toe? Where someone accidentally eats someone's uh, a dead bo- a part of a dead body. <laughs> that's yeah. No, that's more of a uh, of a ghost story than an urban legend. But that was the one that terrified me as a kid. I don't know why, but just accidentally eating a dead body and then like it coming to haunt yeah. you. I don't Did know they why accidentally though? Because because the kid finds the toe, brings it home, and the mom cooks it. I don't think it's an accident. I think they mean to do uh, it. It's an it's accident. In the movie, it's an accident. Yeah. It's it's an accident that that the body comes after him and it's the whole golden arm thing it's like who's got my golden arm who's got my big toe you know right it's one of those deals but like i think what terrified me about that story the most was it was a total like they they did this thing and now there's there's consequences to their actions like that's probably like one of the biggest stories of like they did something bad and the con- there's nothing to stop the consequences. And I was a little shit when I was a kid, so that terrified me <laughs> of just, like, not being able to, uh, like, make up for doing something wrong. I think that's what scared me, at least. Um, another one I really liked uh, that I think is pretty creepy is uh, the uh, Scary Stories version of the Wendigo. Because, uh, yeah, because it's interesting how it was framed. Like, because, uh, you know, like usually with the Legend of the Wendigo, it's like a cannibal spirit. But in this case, like they say in the story, it drags somebody until it, like, basically grinds them to ashes. Yeah. And and that, and just the way it's framed is just really creepy because, like, they find a dude who's a victim of the Wendigo. And, like, they open his coat and he's just, like, nothing but ashes. And they kind of hinted it in the movie version because, like, they briefly go over the pages like, oh, is, it, is Wendigo coming? Uh, not this yeah. time, but uh, who knows? <laughs> 
Well, the ones let, let's talk about the ones that they did in the in the movie because the big toe is in there, yeah. and it's you know one of the friends you know he's eating a stew and there happens to be a big toe in it. But the ghoul that comes after him for eating the big toe is actually from a different story. The illustration is from one called The Haunt, which is like this thin, gaunt woman with no eyes, which is great because it's a horrifying image. And I guess they just wanted to use the big toe. So hey, let's cross pollinate the the what is it? Might Mighty Doe Tie, whatever. That one is... Mighty D Doe Tie. Yeah, yeah, that one is, in in the movie, is kind of a hybrid as well of of two different stories where um, they're very similar, but one... um, the the mighty doe tie, however you say it, um, it, just a head comes down the chimney. But the other one, all of the body parts come down the chimney and reassemble. So it that one's kind of a hybrid as well. But the jangly man, I think, was it, the other one, right? The, uh, I don't think it was called the jangly man. I uh, I almost want to say it was called oh, something. Me tie doty walker. Yeah, that, that's that one. But then, but there the other one that it's a mix of. It, it might just be called like the head and the chimney. You know, something simple like that. And the the dream, which is this, is actually my hands down my favorite scene in the movie. It's the one where in the trailer everything is like red and pink, and there's the fat woman ghoul. Um, that one is completely different. It's just the character that's the same. But it's a really effective scene because everywhere this poor kid looks is this damn creepy character. The the red spot, the one with the spiders in the cheek, that's pretty much exactly how it is yeah. in the in the book. <laughs> and that was uh, super scary for me when I was watching it because I was in Philadelphia at the time, and I saw when I saw the movie in theaters, and that story creeped me out as a kid too. Oh uh, yeah, especially since like when I got into back into them a second time as a teenager, you know, bad acne and all that. I'm like, oh, grew up in a log house, so I was used to waking up to random bug bites every now and then. But I got bit by a bug in Hoboken, New Jersey on this trip, and, like, I have the weirdest red spot. And so every time I go to, like, look at it, I... In the back of my head, I'm like, spiders aren't gonna come out. No. (laughs) It's getting itchy right now, actually. (laughs) Yikes. Awesome. Don't be sleeveless in Hoboken, New Jersey, people. (laughs) And I also like how they uh, did in the movie, because it was kind of a slow build up like it's just the whole thing when like the one spider leg pokes out like oh god that was that was nasty nope but that was also one of the most confusing things because uh she didn't die from it but in the movie the kid goes i just lost my sister because i remember that her them carting her out and it's like oh she's like one of the few people that didn't die from their thing and then he's like my my sister is gone and i'm like wait but did she die she just went crazy uh, yeah i can yeah. see that well, traumatized. That was one of the main complaints I had with the movie. I don't think it was because they were holding back because of the PG-13 rating or anything, but there was a few times where I felt like segments kind of stopped early and then some were drawn out and didn't have a, a real... Like, the jangly man was terrifying when he first came out. Like, um, I remember my fiance, she complained that the dog didn't respond back, but I was like, well, I, it makes sense to make it a bit scarier to not have a talking dog in the bit. But, like, when he first comes out and he's trying to get through, like, the jail thing and pushing his head through, that was terrifying. Yeah. And then he just kept going and didn't really do much and they just was on the screen too long and it was... But nothing really happened, and it was it was just like, Ugh. but on the flip side of that, the pale lady with the big smile, I wanted that scene where she finally like embraces him to last a bit longer, you know, just to kind of see like, because that was so creepy when she holds him and she's smiling, and she just starts going, mm. 
Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, also the way that her eyes moved really creeped me out. Like the way she kind of squints while she smiles, which is another thing I w- uh, want to point out that the special effects in the movie were outstanding. And a lot of them, a lot of them are practical too. Yeah, um, they had the 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 big toe woman. Um, that was Javier Botet, that contortionist guy who basically is everything. He was Mama. He's been in. Um, right, he was right. the Crooked Man. And and I I I don't know if he played the Jangly Man as well, but it wouldn't surprise me because that is some some body twist in there. But yeah, a lot of those effects um, were not see only when they had to be. Like when you know the Jangly Man's putting himself together. Obviously, you got to have some CG there. But um, a surprising amount of it was practical, more than you would think in a 2019 movie and and it looked really good i mean like when you oh, yeah. have that director with uh guillermo del toro of course the effects are going to be great because yeah they, guillermo del toro is has never been one to he, he's always going to choose to put a guy in a suit over you know a guy in a motion capture outfit you know he's going to want to put a guy in a monster suit in a rubber suit but he's also not afraid to use cgi and when he no. does he does it very smart like like it's always like subtle it's always in like proper lighting with it so that it doesn't look it, like his the cgi in his movies tend to age very well except for that one scene in blade 2 <laughs> what i'm talking about well i just reread all three of the books last night just in preparation for this and um and it was weird because it only took me a couple hours to read through all three of them they're really short compact little bite-sized you know books you know because they were made for what eight-year-olds i think that's why the end of harold is so shocking you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's drying out this farmer's skin yeah if you watch the scary stories documentary and they talk about um they actually talk with a couple teachers who whose libraries were trying to get these books banned and they say to the principals that are banned in the books they're like have you read these books? The stories, with the exception of the end of Harold, they're not that scary. I don't know why. It must have been the illustrations and maybe some it kids. Because they re-released the books without the illustrations. Ah, and that's how they yeah. kind of like got around it for a bit. But those versions were went over like a lead balloon. We're there for the illustrations mostly. Like the stories are great, but the illustrations is what sold it. The stories are just campfire tales that alvin schwartz gathered up and put his own spin on but gamel's illustrations are what sells the and i think they learned that when they tried to release it without them you know they ended up having to re-release it with the original illustrations because that's what haunts people's dreams and maybe there were some little snowflake kids who were like mommy i can't sleep because of this book and then the parents were like you know get this book out of my library you know, I, don't, I don't know but they're the stories themselves are not really anything that a kid wouldn't already tell. Yeah, exactly. Some of those stories, the one about um, where they hang the uh, hand from the light, the light uh, string and, and the girl goes crazy. My fifth grade teacher told us that in class. And then uh. the one about the cursed fraternity, you know, where the, the, the two pledges disappear and then there's a curse on it. Uh, they told that at sixth grade camp. So yeah, these are not stories that kids have not heard already but Stephen Gamble's illustrations are terrifying oh yeah (laughs) terrifying and and that's the thing too like I I liked the documentary I thought it went on a little too long like it was like it was one of those documentaries where it was like all right, it didn't need to be 
you could have shaved 20 minutes off and still made the same points except I, it's only 80 minutes long so then you have you, you have a tv show <laughs> but i don't know what 20 minutes should have been shaved because i i yeah. love the input of like what everyone was bringing to the table with it um but they, what I really liked about it was they made the real point of points like these stories are really short and that's really good for like kids like me who are ADHD as fuck and could not focus. I couldn't I, – I got a, only a few books into Harry Potter and it was like, oh, ooh, this is so much reading. But scary stories. Oh, read a two-page story? Yeah, I can do that. I could knock out a book. knock out that in a few hours. The longest stories in the book, the longest story in the book, I think, is in the third one. And it is, um, it's it's a real ghost story about a, a house that's haunted by a poltergeist. And the paranormal investigators think that it wasn't actually a poltergeist. It was um, energy from the teenager who lived there that caused things like caps to pop off bottles. And, you know, they, they thought that it was vibrations from an underground stream, all this stuff. I mean, and it's probably five pages. And the thing is, because also it's real and they're trying to find the science to it, I can see a lot of kids skipping that one just based on length. And also you get a couple pages into it, you're like, there aren't any ghosts here. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And, well, for one thing, I actually haven't watched the documentary, so I can't really comment in that regard. But I was also going to say that a few of the stories in the various scary stories were actually pretty funny. Oh, yeah, a lot of them are. And and they tell you at the beginning of those chapters, they say, you know, and they're usually at the end. So if you have been getting scared reading up to that point, they say, these are the ones that are going to be, you're going to laugh more than scream. Ha, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah like one of my favorites was uh, the Slithery D. You know, the Slithery D, the Slithery D, he came out of the sea. He ate all the well, others. What was the one where it, was, it turns out to be the uh, win- <laughs> win- window cleaner? Or window viper i come to vite the yeah. windows i mean, want that, to vipe they, and watch the windows. comedy to it and i think yeah. that's what that's why i respect the movie and like i said in the beginning when we first talked about it, is its legacy i mean these books yeah they had scary images but they were easily digestible for uh kids and it got kids interested in reading i know for me it's what got me into reading more and reading more horror like uh, it made me go oh wow there's actually books about stuff that i actually want to know about and read and i think that's the ultimate uh beauty behind them like yeah they're terrifying there's awesome illustrations i'm planning on getting one as a tattoo but and it's going to be the big tip um (laughs) but I mean, it gets kids reading and it gets them talking. And I think especially preserving campfire stories is important because for the longest time, that was the only way we told things. Before books, we had campfire stories. Before anything, we had that type. And I was fortunate enough when I was a kid going to camp, we had a professional campfire story uh, teller come in and tell stories to us one time. And it was, I was so enthralled. (laughs) Uh, it was one of the coolest things ever and I think that needs to come back and as much as I did like this movie I do want to see a straight up adaptation like anthology movie or series even if it's just like a few web shorts of these stories getting adapted with that level of like accuracy with like uh, the adaption of the drawings I think that would be really great yeah no I'm with you like when I was a kid um, you know it was, it was uh, probably one of the first real horror things I read outside of the Goosebumps uh, and yeah uh, I was a pretty timid kid but they kept me enthralled and uh, 
It was also something me and my classmates bonded over because we would read the stories like, oh, did you read this one? It was so scary. Did it look at this picture? It's so scary. So I feel I feel like it had nothing but a positive effect uh, when I was a, when I was a kid. You know, like in elementary school, reading these types of books. And I also agree that you know, like campfire stories need to be archived. So it's good that we have books like these to keep them in the in the public conscience like this. And it's all it's I mean it's all folklore and and yeah. you know. So now the way that it's passed down is on the internet and the, and it's getting added to because if you look at like creepy pastas I mean how those morph and get repeated and with each repeating they change a little bit. It's the same thing with these. Like the version of, you know, the killer in the back seat that's in Scary Stories Tell in the Dark is not the same one that is in the movie Urban Legend, although they're close. And and that's what I think that Alvin Schwartz, he even acknowledges in, in the books, the forwards. He says, you know, back in the day when they didn't have TV, they would gather at someone's house or maybe around a fire and they would tell these stories. So he even acknowledges, you know, he didn't write any of these. He's, you know, he collected them and he put his own spin on some of them but you know that's why i think stephen gamble's contributions to the book are uh are more invaluable because we saw what happened when they tried to take the illustrations away mm-hmm. you know it's just and not staying away i mean those stories are still great on, on their own but the illustrations is what takes it to yeah, the next no, yeah. they are the story the stories are great but you probably already know them by heart or you know probably a third of them you know who can't tell the story of the hook but when you see that bloody hook in the book (laughs) next to it you know it it has more of an effect on you and we will forever be especially when you're eight years old haunted by those classic words me ty dodie walker (laughs) (laughs) i had to say it right at least once we fucked it up so Uh. much during the episode it had to be said right once me, Ty. It's so hard to remember. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, our our music is Restless Spirit, and their new album has dropped. And so, uh, and there's a version of our theme song on it. So go pick that up. Uh, our artwork is Chris Fisher. Uh, <laughs> me, uh, James J. Edwards. You can find on Twitter at Cinema Ferite. That's like Verite, but with fear. So it's F E A R I T E. Where can we find you, Jacob? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob Davison underscore. That is at J A C O B D A V I S O N underscore. And uh, keep an eye out because I've got more. Uh, speaking of uh, horror anthologies, I got more of uh, my uh, stories, dead time stories, uh, coming out soon. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Cool. We yeah, we talked about that last time. It's the it's the podcast with the purple and the skull dead time stories because there's like five of them. <laughs> All right, Korea, where can they find you? Uh, I'm Jonathan Korea. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Korean Barbecue. That's C O R R E I A N B B Q. Um, I mean, we're still on Stardust. I haven't posted in a while, but we're on there. And you can also find me trying to convince do- or train dogs to repeat back Lynchy Kinchy, Kali Molly, Dingo Dingo, you know. Because <laughs> that's the other part where the dog talks. Somebody yeah. Googled the story. <laughs> what? No, I totally don't have Google up right now. Uh, and you can find all three of us at the Ion Horror Facebook page. Uh, at the iHorror Facebook page or just at iHorror.com. You can find all of our spewings um, as well as the spewings of several other talented writers that if you're a a steady listener of the show, you are familiar with a few of them because they've been on as guests. So uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Um, 
hopefully we'll see when we uh what happens with korea's uh travels but uh but if you're in phoenix you might be close to home <laughs> or are you go are you heading the other direction yeah, we're we're heading back to the East Coast. Uh, next stop is <laughs> Who Kansas. Who books this thing? <laughs> <laughs> the next uh, next stop is Kansas, and then Rhode Island, and then Massachusetts. So, but wait, you were just in New York and Philadelphia. <laughs> no, at Dude, least fire I'm not your tour manager. <laughs> at least I'm not driving this time. We're flying. This is true. This um, is true. Well, that's good. <laughs> which is which is somehow more stressful than oh. driving. <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Uh, so for me, James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. And I'm Jonathan Korea. Keep your eye on horror.